This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Are you ever too old for some tough high profile jobs like President of the United States? Here in Canada, CARP, A New Vision of Aging, was on the forefront of abolishing mandatory retirement at 65. But there are still some jobs that have age limits. Judges have to retire at 75, and so do senators. Doctors can work as long as they like, but you don't see many practicing surgery at 75+. And the Democratic candidates for the American presidency are on the older side. Joe Biden and Michael Bloomberg at 77, Elizabeth Warren at 70, and the current president and presumed Republican candidate Donald Trump is 73. Ahead of Monday's Iowa caucuses, our Zoomer squad sat down with Libby Snymer to talk about this issue, Peter Muggeridge, senior editor of Zoomer magazine, and David Kravitz, vice president of Zoomer Media. I think that there's been some criticism that the parties, uh, certainly the Democratic Party, uh, couldn't find a front runner younger than what the present field uh, consists of. And then when Bernie Sanders had a heart attack a number of weeks ago, uh, the issue of health came up and that issue has uh, been there with Donald Trump as well. So you have two issues. You have, is, are they fit for the job physically? And is there something wrong with being that old and still running to be the president. Peter? Well, and, and another issue is that because the electorate is older now, these people are more representative of the electorate. So that, that's an issue no one's talking about, right? But if if the electorate, you know, is of an age where uh, they have issues and concerns that are best represented by a seven-year-old as opposed to a 38-year-old, then it makes sense to elect a seven-year-old. I think so. And I think that the fact that these candidates are doing well in the polls, and in the case of Trump, of course, he won an election, uh, it shows that the public doesn't appear to be ruling them out uh, on the grounds of age. And so then you wonder about who's critiquing them because they're this old. And what are the motives of those critics? Right. Because the public doesn't seem to be that bothered by it. Maybe our listeners will be more bothered by it, but the voters <laughs> seem to be taking it in their stride. Yeah. I am all for working as long as you can, as long as you will, but you'd think that is the world's most demanding job. It is. It's physically, mentally, emotionally is, though you're quite right. But as I said, there's no evidence that the voters are uh, punishing the candidates for reasons of age. So it will be interesting to see um, what the rationale would be to not let them uh, let them near that. There have, Libby, been, as you know, health concerns before. Eisenhower had a heart attack, Sanders, Reagan. Eisenhower had a heart, heart attack in office, did he? Eisenhower did, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
and and were they straight about it? Sometimes they hide the the presidents. You know that they're supposedly it's all disclosed very very right. publicly, but uh, sometimes they hide it. But Ike was the first one to disclose it because you go all the way back to Woodrow Wilson. He had a stroke, and there, there was mm. rumors that his wife his wife was sharing <laughs> the cabinet meetings because they didn't want to leak it. But by today's standards, he wasn't that old. He wasn't seventy yet. Well, he had so, a stroke. Yeah. And, you know, and, and even Roosevelt, young people have strokes. Yeah. Roosevelt battled polio, right? Like he was hiding that. Oh, and right? they would yeah. never shoot him from the waist, from the waist down, down. Right. and show right. his yeah. wheelchair. Yeah. Right. Right. So there have been health issues, but usually they attach to that guy or that president. Okay, this particular person has had this problem. But a generic, let's not vote for anybody over the age of X, um, hasn't really happened. So there seems to be a gap between maybe the critics and the reality of the voters. Right. So but it, far, but anyway. if a person is, I mean, there there are a lot of 80-year-olds who aren't fit for office, but if a person is a, a remarkable, remarkably well-aged person, like why, why aren't they fit for office? You know, like, like just because at that age, many people suffer heart attacks or dementia or, or you know, any other of the ailments. But, you know, if this person isn't, then then why aren't they fit for office? You know? My final thought is that since it's likely that the Democratic nominee will be uh, over the age of 70-something and that Trump will definitely be the Republican, that will be a very unique election. And we'll see what the uh, turnout rate is among the different age groups and whether the younger voters are going to stay home because that's we'll get to that later in the year, I'm sure, when we know more. But that, to me, is going to be a very telling uh, comment: will, will the younger voters turn off the whole thing mm. if it's two older people well, uh, contesting And it? it's very interesting. In the last election, I believe the actual, the group of eligible voters, there were more millennials than boomers for the first time. For the that first doesn't, time, yeah. But it doesn't mean that more of them voted. So they don't you vote, bring no. a very yeah. interesting point. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would you like to leave us with? Well, Peter? just that... I don't think people should necessarily be ruled out because of age. You can you can have younger advisors and younger ca you know uh, cabinet ministers. You can you can fill your your government with youthful advisors, but age should not be you know you, you shouldn't be limited by age. Peter Mugridge, senior editor of Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, vice president of Zoomer Media, our Monday Zoomer Squad. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. If you've shopped for groceries at a Sobeys lately, you would have noticed a big change. No more single-use plastic bags. And by next year, the Trudeau Liberals in Ottawa are on track to ban a variety of single-use plastics. This will mean no more plastic straws, bags, and food utensils. It's part of the strategy to combat the country's plastic pollution that will include more recycling. On Monday, Libby was joined by Michelle Gentner, co-owner of Unboxed Market, and Keith Brooks, Program Director of Environmental Defence Canada. I do see some evidence that people are adjusting to it. I mean, we... Um, you know, are, are talking to our supporters over email and on Facebook and through Twitter and other social media about this plastics ban. And we see a tremendous amount of enthusiasm and support for the government moving forward on this. I think people are, are just sickened by this plastics situation. They're sickened about hearing the stories about, you know, animals found dead with bellies full of plastic. They're tired of hearing about 
Canadian garbage ending up overseas uh, in countries that don't want it, and that being sent back, and they're waiting, they're ready for action. There was a poll done late in 2019 that said over 80% of Canadians support a ban on some single-use plastics. Michelle, have you had an increase in the number of customers as, as people are starting to mentally prepare themselves for this? Uh, I, we have uh, new customers who come in every day. I'm not sure which part is is uh, causing that. Definitely there is some awareness uh, on behalf of our uh, customers and how they are responding to the changes in the environment. And I think that some of it is just, um, as he said, a lot of just people being fed up. And some of it is people kind of going past the being fed up and trying to get to the next step on their own as they see the government is starting to shift. What I have been starting to see in places that are environmentally conscious is using bamboo for all kinds of things, including uh, disposable cutlery and all of that. Is that, in the long run, a big solution, Keith? Um, it might be in some cases. I don't. There's not a single solution to to the uh, to the issue here. I mean, there's a bunch of different products that are going to be used in a bunch of different uh, areas. Uh, bamboo cutlery may be, may be part of it. I mean, I think really for cutlery, we should be having reusable cutlery that we can carry around with us. Um, it's not that, it's not that, uh, onerous actually to be, you know, packing a, a fork and a knife. I mean, people have now, are now carrying water bottles with them. They're carrying reusable bags with them. Having reusable cutlery is another thing we should be having. Michelle, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, I think the biggest thing that people need to remember as this all moves forward, it's also very preliminary, but just to try to be a little bit more aware of your own consumption and um, what you're grabbing from the store and why do things need to go in bags that are then going in other bags that are then going in other bags, um, the, the kind of reasoning behind that and how you're um, getting your lunch and things going on throughout the day trying to shift away. It's an imperfect system and, and humans are obviously also imperfect. So just trying to remember that, you know, every little bit that you're doing actually does make a difference and to not get daunted and, um, and uh, give up instead of just continuing to try all the time. Okay. And Keith, what would you like to leave us with? Just that we're glad to see the government moving forward to address the issue of plastics. I mean, and Michelle's totally right. Every little bit counts, and what individuals can do totally matters. And stores like hers are, are helping people realize that they can change their, their behaviors and helping us to socialize the idea that we can shop without using so much plastic. But we really do need government to, to take this step to make sure that everybody's behaving this way and that this isn't just you know, some people who, who are, are kind of going above and beyond to reduce their plastics use. So we're li- looking forward to working with the government as they move forward and, and really hoping that they go with this comprehensive approach that does ban some of these plastics that we don't need. But uh, the other big part is this holding producers responsible, holding these companies responsible for the garbage that they make and making sure that there's more recycling, less waste, etc. Keith Brooks, Program Director of Environmental Defense Canada, and Michelle Gentner, co-owner of Unboxed Market. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. The first notable mistake of the federal conservative leadership campaign took place this past week. Candidate Peter McKay appeared to lack control of his handlers during an interview with CTV News when he was asked if his Twitter post mocking Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for yoga expenses lacked incivility. 
McKay admitted this is not civil and he can do better. That's when members of his team shut down the interview while McKay defended the reporter for doing her job. This was the hot topic when our crack strategy panel joined Libby Snymer on Tuesday. Kim Wright, principal of Wright Strategies, Charles Bird, managing principal of Ernstcliff Strategy Group, and Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village. Whether or not he knew that that tweet has, was out there, he should probably be briefed on what's on his Twitter feed. And, you know, if he if he really didn't agree with the yoga expenses, then it should have been taken down. But also, uh, it's politics, right? And, and part of what his opportunity was that he missed, I think, is to say, yeah, I'm doing politics differently. I'm not going to spend donor money or taxpayer money on things like my kid's education or yoga. Politics is politics, and no one's going to elect a nice guy. Like He's got to be the guy who's in control. And I think that there was just lots of elements of that interview that showed he wasn't in control, not least of which was his staff ferreting him out of there. Hats off to Peter McKay for actually invoking the need for civility in our political discourse. I mean, I thought it was a, a very, very good moment for him. And what made it all the stranger were his staff people um, deciding to cut him off mid-interview. And, I, I, you know, I've worked for Ralph Goodale for six years as a minister. I worked for Paul Martin, and I can uh, count the number of times I've cut them off in the midst of interviews on no hands, because it's just not something you do, except in the circumstance when you are out of time, which is like, you've got to go and you you simply have to be on the move. But, you know, I think this goes to an underlying uh, facet of the conservative campaign, which is there are a lot of conservatives across the country for whom the demonstration of how much you hate Justin Trudeau is going to be one of the key considerations in terms of uh, who your choice is for leader. And it's very akin to how much Democrats hate Trump and how much Republicans hated Hillary. And it goes to the poison that's part of our political discourse these days. And it's interesting to see McKay take this tack because this is a very deliberate tack back to the center. Peter McKay and his team have been doing this whole we play hockey and the prime minister does yoga, mm. which is a very, uh, you know, trying to be masculine versus more feminine, which anyone who's ever done a yoga class, male, female, cyborg, I don't care. Mm. It is hard to do yoga. And maybe the staffers on the McKay team could use a couple of yoga meditation <laughs> moments. So they've been trying to play this. I'm a man's man versus Trudeau not being so manly. So that was inevitably going to blow up in their face. You cannot do these types of contrast pieces half-baked. You have to be either all in on them or all out of them because the moment you're kind of wishy-washy as Peter McKay was trying to be in that of saying, I want to increase the civility in politics, well, then you need to rethink your strategy. The second part of this is that uh, these staffers who jumped in and look, I've I, I've had to do it once and, I, and it, it never goes well if you're a staffer trying to jump in or try to wrap up a thing. But ultimately, they have to take their leadership from their elected official or their uh, wanting to be elected official who's trying to say, you know what, look, I'm going to keep going on this interview. They approved this reporter. They approved they were going to talk about the campaign. Inevitably, if they didn't know that this ad controversy was going to come up, maybe they should check Twitter once in a while. But there's all sorts of things that were wrong. Ultimately, this was bad leadership uh, 
on the entirety of the ca- of the McKay campaign, and they're going to have to wear this. Uh, Charles, does this go away uh, if he fires those staffers? I don't and think he needs he- to fire them. I mean, it's early on in the leadership campaign. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of growing pains as they try to assemble a, a functioning team uh, centered right across the country and with a headquarters. And, you know, who you have with the candidate, though, is a really critical consideration because it has to be the kind of people who can exercise good judgment in often high-pressured situation uh, situations. And so it's um, it's something that I think they'll sort out over time. But listen, there's no doubt that Peter McKay, if, if my conservative friends are to be believed, Peter McKay is going to run away with this thing. You know, I, I, I've said I like Marilyn Gladue out of Sarnia Lambton. She's a very thoughtful person, but she's got very little by way of profile. Aaron O'Toole is almost a poster child for embitter conservatism. So there may be there may be some traction he can pick up among the far right. But for the most part, this is a coronation waiting to happen. Except for if you keep stumbling like Peter McKay has done right out of the gate. Look, his, his, his launch was... Uh, lackluster at best. His, uh, I've, I've seen Peter McKay give burn burner speeches. If they didn't know that this Twitter thing was going to be a fiasco, the fact that is that I, I don't even believe that they've taken down the tweets on this yet. So they can't be that apologetic about it. But he's stumbling a lot out of the gate. Yeah, I think that's the risk that he has because everyone sees him as Jesus. He's going to walk in with his styrofoam shoes and steal this camp still this uh, coronation, as you say, and I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. And so he's got to up his game. There's unfortunately being the perceived front runner means that you've got all eyes on you all the time. And he's had a couple missteps that were not in- indicative of someone who should be coronated. So I think this is a wake up call for the whole campaign. Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, Kim Wright, Principal of Wright Strategies, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Earnscliff Strategy Group, Fight Back's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Next, we turn to your money and our trusted contributor, Mark Halpern, CEO of WealthInsurance.com, certified financial planner and trust and estate practitioner with additional expertise in philanthropy. Regardless of what's happening in the markets, it's always best to have your finances set up in the most efficient way. Mark joined Libby to talk about financial and estate planning this past Wednesday. The deadline for RSP contributions is on March the 1st. Right. And the deadline for paying taxes on is on April 30th. So we notice that when we have a deadline, we actually get things done. So this conversation is very appropriate because when it comes to planning, we always say there's a thing we're going to, going to, going to, but we do have to put a deadline to things. So this is a good conversation to have now. Right. And for people who are turning 71, there's that whole additional thing of turning your RSP into a RIF. And it's... Uh, a lot of work. It's a ne- it's a next chapter, right? You know, the RSPs were uh, created by the government back in the '60s to encourage Canadians to put money away for retirement because they knew that they couldn't fund Canadians' retirements on CPP alone. So, uh, you know, this year a Canadian uh, can put away up to 18% of their earned income to a maximum of $26,500 a year. And if you're turning 71, now your RSP has to become an income stream. So now you have to start taking money out of it, which means you're going to now start paying tax. tax. 
So imagine if your RSPs and RIFs, let's just say, are making 8% and you're taking out 5%, that means it's just a deferred tax account that eventually will have to be paid out to somebody and the government's going to have their handout wanting somewhere around 54% of that for any amounts over $220,000. Okay, so what to do? So that's a great, first of all, uh, it's very important that you you speak to a professional planner, right? And and you can't. This is not sort of something that you do on your own. You don't go to a doctor and sort of or go on Doctor Google and come up with your own prescription. You need to find somebody who does planning more than investing. Most Canadians spend time doing investing, but they don't do planning. Planning is getting to a point where you say, "How much money do I really need at retirement? What is my tax going to be today? Am I going to run out of money along the way? Is there going to be a whole bunch of never spend money that I have that I could?" actually start giving away to kids now or grandchildren or for charities. And by doing that type of work, now you can see, can we use some of that money to preserve the my estate? I just met with a woman recently uh, for, who had about $10 million uh, net worth, which is pretty good, 70 years of age and, and divorced. And she was feeling pretty good with her $10 million until I told her that, no, she's not worth $10 million. She's only worth $6.5 million. And she was like, Still what? sounds pretty good. I know. Listen, <laughs> I, I'll, ta- I'll take it. Line me, you know, sign me up. But still, it got her attention that there was $3.5 million that was going to tax. So certainly with planning, you can use some of that never spend money uh, in using things like what I'm a specialist in, which is in tax-exempt insurance, to actually preserve an estate. So let's talk a little bit more. You've been saving money. Now, first of all, there's a whole issue with RSPs, and that is that uh, most people don't have much in the way of RSPs. They don't have retirement savings. But let's <clears throat> say you do, uh, and suddenly you've been putting money, socking money away in it like I have. Uh, But there you're getting to the point where it's like, oh, no, I'm going to have to take some of this money out and pay taxes on it, even though I don't necessarily need it. Right. So that, again, Libby comes back to planning, right? It's it's not something to sort of say, oh, you just came up with that idea on your own. But have you actually put pen to paper to sort of create a plan for yourself to make sure that you're not going to run out of your money? And how much money do you actually need? If you, you realize that, that you're not going to run out of money, and hopefully you would be in that situation, that's when you can actually do some planning. And, and it really, really requires having somebody, a, an excellent investment advisor, who also is let's say a certified financial planner or a trust and estate practitioner to sort of be able to look at this. But yeah, most Canadians, their big wealth is sitting either in real estate, if you're fortunate enough to own a house in the GTA the last you know 50 years, or it's sitting actually in retirement money. So there is many, many millions of dollars of, of RSPs that people actually have in that they are, they are, they are holding on to. Mark Halpern, CEO of WealthInsurance.com. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Dave in Thorold phoned about the relationship between age and politics. If we look at age as being a function of wisdom... There are very young people that show wisdom and very old people that have a complete lack of wisdom. Had Donald Trump been in power during the Cuban Missile Crisis when I spent a year in Florida during that time, and I was afraid the whole time I was in school there, um, I believe things would have turned out a whole lot worse. I believe that statesmanship 
and the ability to perform a statesmanship manner in front of the public locally and internationally is of critical importance, not just age. Joy in Markham called to say age should have no bearing on who should be the next U.S. Democratic presidential candidate. I'm going to be 77 in May. I got a clean bill of health from my doctor. And if you can do the job, why not? I need to see the person who can stand beside and compare themselves to me. Kudos to this um, running mate. I mean, you know, a lot of people who retire, even before my age, the rocking chair is there waiting to get them. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rudy in Toronto with his take on the coming single-use plastics ban. I'm an, uh, an older, retired person, and uh, recycling is a very big part of my, my life. I, I, I believe in it very strongly. When I'm in supermarkets, uh, it, it really annoys me to see the amount of plastic. And there is one place that I go to occasionally. Everything there already seems to, to, to have come wrapped in plastic. All the vegetables and everything are already packaged in plastic, and I think they get most of the stuff imported. So uh, I think something should be uh, changed in, in that place, too, about because so, that's a, a great uh, source of, of uh, uh, unreusable plastic. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio. AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.